is the Screaming Neemans on Blaze Radio. Hello, anyone coming across this interesting subject that you have found, the Screaming Neemans. Who are the Screaming Neemans? Well, I'm Blake Neeman. I have two N's in Neeman, N-I-E-M-A-N-N, and that's Edward Neeman, my partner. He has one N in his last name, and it's kind of odd how we even just met. I I, th- I believe we came across each other in the bathroom, yes. actually, at our we, dorm yeah. room. Yeah, we did. We did. And I tell you, I've met I've met a few Neemans, but none that spell it N-I-E-M-A-N. But I guess you're just one N better than me. I, I guess so. I guess so. But it, it's really been an interesting concept. We kind of just thought to ourselves, hey, not many Neemans we've come across, neither in my town or his. He lives in Chicago. I live in a small town of Loma. So really nothing alike except our last names. We like sports, and we're going to get talking with you guys about sports. And so we're excited. And actually, the name Screaming Neemans originated with my father, Eric Neeman, in college. And sure enough, I'm now in college here Oh, whatever, two decades later, and we're making the name live on. So we're going to get right into it. Last weekend, we had a lot of great sports. uh, And I think the biggest question of the day that we can take away from this past weekend and all the craziness and all that is mainly just the NFL right now and discussing are the Buffalo Bills the Super Bowl favorites in the AFC and... The undefeated Fly Eagles, Fly Philadelphia Eagles, are they the favorites in the NFC? And so both teams had incredible performances this past weekend. I mean, the Bills, especially, Edward, were fantastic. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I've said this to a few people. I think, I, in, in my opinion, and not to jump ahead, but I think the two, I think the winner of that game might be your Super Bowl champion. I think that right there, I mean, both teams are in the AFC, but that very well might have been a precursor to what we see down the road in the playoffs. And I think right now, those are two of the best teams in the NFL. Yeah, the Bills team is well-rounded as any team you'll find, especially just last year in that AFC divisional round game with the Chiefs. We saw that defense struggle a lot. And then we see Sunday, whole different defense right there. They add the piece with Vaughn Miller, which I think is just the altering piece, that the missing piece to that championship puzzle for this Bills team. He's shown that Vaughn Miller, everywhere he's went, I was uh, originated, born in Boulder, and I'm a Denver Broncos fan, which we'll talk about later on in the show. But he was the Super Bowl MVP, defensive Super Bowl MVP. You don't really see that very often. Um, And then he comes to L.A., revitalizes, redefines his career after a struggling few years with the Broncos, just the struggling franchise. And then he wins the Super Bowl with the Rams. And now he comes to Buffalo and is already making an immediate impact. And they got a shout-out, Northwest Love, the secondary, led by... None other than Oregon State and Astoria, Oregon native, Jordan Poyer, has four interceptions on the season. And then the defense that he leads in the secondary forced two interceptions on Patrick Mahomes, even that last play there at the end. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I look at this Bills team, I think one of the things that I like to see, especially if you're a Bills fan, is they went out and, as you said, they addressed needs that they had. You know, you often see teams, they'll compete. And then during the offseason, they'll kind of just reset and they expect to be back there. But I think the management 
of the Bills. They went out, they got Von Miller, and that was a big piece because when you look Von Miller, I mean, aside from you know all his skills on the field, he's be- but he's been to big games before. He has the experience, and more than anything, he's like a chemistry guy. He's the glue of that defense. And now with the addition of them, I mean, that defense nearly looks as good as their offense right now. Exactly, and speaking of that offense, I mean, Josh Allen, man. Yeah. Josh Allen's a stud. I mean... There's really no one on his level right now across the league. And if you just look at his matchups, obviously Patrick Mahomes was the contender for that MVP spot in that game. And then Josh Allen wins that matchup, throws three touchdowns, not a single interception compared to Mahomes, who threw two interceptions. And then he already beat Lamar Jackson, who's also in that conversation. He beat him, and he's just been outstanding. 2,000 passing yards, only four interceptions in total. Mahomes had half of that in just the game. 17 touchdowns. He beats the defending Super Bowl champs, beats the Chiefs, beats the Ravens. I mean, this guy is just... He's, he lives for those big moments. Yeah, and I think you mentioned it. The, the biggest thing for me about Josh Allen is mistake-free football, right? I mean, when you look at the top matchups in the NFL and the top teams, even just in the AFC, I mean, we saw in the playoffs last year, the Bills and the Chiefs, the game was not separated by much. You know, OT and... You know, when you get two competitive teams, you know, whether it be the Chiefs or somebody else, what it's really going to come down to, especially when you have two really good offenses like that, it's like who, you know, makes the least amount of mistakes. And if you can limit turnovers, um, interceptions, fumbles, whatever that is, but interceptions is the main thing. If you can limit those, that puts you at a really good advantage because then you can just let your offense go to work and you don't put much pressure on that defense. Exactly, and defense wins championships, so having a solid defense, and I think the Bills have the advantage in that department over the Chiefs uh, for sure. And then also, shifting over to the NFC, they're in kind of a tier of their own, even more so than the Bills. Uh, Really, the Eagles have shown kind of the only promising team in the NFC besides maybe their NFC's counterparts, the New York Giants, who have been pretty terrible in years past. Yeah, and I mean, going to this season, like like every year, it's like the NFC East. It's like, it's, you know, the division that you love to hate. You know, it's it's a lot of competitive teams that are not competitive with anybody else in the NFC. But I'm really liking what I'm seeing from the Eagles especially, also the Cowboys, but the I mean the Eagles have just done a really good job of finding ways to win games. You know, they've had a couple close games like we saw early in the season. They had a high scoring battle with the Lions. They only beat the Jaguars by eight. But they've just found ways to win games, and that's what good teams do. You know, the the proof is in the pudding. They're undefeated. Jalen Hurts is putting up really good numbers, and the team's just playing as a whole really well. Yeah, they've been playing really good football lately. Something Philadelphia hasn't probably seen as much as you would hate to say it since Nick Foles was was, was the quarterback yeah. on that playoff run to the Super Bowl. But they, they've been on, on another level in the NFC. The Jalen Hurts, I mean, just his involvement since college and yeah. coming out of Alabama, being a freshman there, having to start in that national championship game against Clemson, and then obviously having that rough national championship performance Tua overtaking him and now Tua is a starting quarterback hopefully wishing him well recoveries as he comes back from his injury but his his progress over time then going to Oklahoma and just his journey is so inspiring to me and just how he's been able to remain true to his skill many people thought with just his play style he wasn't going to make it in the NFL and he's just proving uh, I mean in that MVP conversation obviously Josh Allen being on that another level but he's proven to be an elite quarterback in this league 
Yeah, and I think, you know, looking at Jalen Hurts, I think that he's going to be the type of guy who's going to be good for a long time. I don't think he's just going to be good for a couple years and then and then leave. I think he's here to stay, and I think we've seen that over the past few years. It's it's the progression that I'm impressed with. He hasn't, you know, had one really good year and then dropped off the next year. He's had a steady progression upwards, and that's done this Philadelphia team really well. And you mentioned the last Philadelphia team with uh, Foles. To me, these two teams are a little reminiscent. It's not like you can pick out one, two, or three players that have like really been carrying the load. It's been a little bit of everybody, both offensively and defensively, and I think we might see something very similar to that uh, Philly team with Nick Foles. And yes, we've seen undefeated teams uh, early on in seasons. I mean, heck, last year we saw the Cardinals yes. go seven and zero to start the season, yes. and then they go four and six in the second half. So there is potential for fall off, but. I don't see this Philadelphia team honestly crumbling like the Cardinals team did last year. I think there's just a lot of young promise, especially on the offensive side. I mean, you've got the reigning Heisman candidate, and you also have A.J. Brown out wide. You have two great targets there. And then defensively, the Eagles got steals in the draft from Georgia. And they've just been studly in just their progression and their kind of build back up since that Super Bowl. And I think just this team has a good, solid young core. I I, I don't know so much if you can kind of compare, rightfully compare the Cardinals team from last year and that fall off. Yeah, you know, I think this Eagles team, you know, that's funny because it was something I did think about. I was, you know, you, you saw Kyler Murray with the Cardinals have a really, really good first half of the last season. Then things kind of just came down. But, you know, as you mentioned, I think I think the biggest thing is the young talent on this team. And I think young players can be a very big advantage because, you know, they they haven't been there yet. So they still play every game, every play with that high level of competitiveness um, that you might not see with maybe veteran players. Um, you see that hunger. And, you know, to me, the hungry dog always, always runs faster. And I think we're going to see that with the Eels. Now, how far, how long they'll stay undefeated? I don't know. They have a decent path. Looking, you know, they don't have any really, really tough games the rest of the way. Um, but you know, I think I think we're going to see them continue to to win games and, and win them in very exciting fashion. Fly Eagles, fly, baby, fly Eagles, fly. Um, but moving on from the NFL over to some contenders and championship hopefuls in their own regard as far as the college game, which we were just alluding to, these young players coming out of, and one of them being uh, Jalen Hurts alumni, Alabama. They lost this weekend to Tennessee in that huge rivalry matchup down in Knoxville. Huge crowd, crazy crowd, upset from from Tennessee. Gives them their first win over the Tide in 15 years. It's been an incredible journey for them, and it was just an incredible college football game, one of the best I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, that last drive by Tennessee was really the game in a nutshell. I mean, after Alabama missed that kick, I just had a feeling with Hendon Hooker, the way that he has been facilitating that offense, and I mean, it was like a a few plays. I want to say it was like three or four plays that were down deep into Alabama territory to set them up for that game-winning field goal. Um, and it's been, it's, you know, the receivers have played really well, uh, but Hendon Hooker has done a really good job, you know, putting the ball where it needs to be put um, and letting the receivers work um, as this Tennessee team continues to thrive. And right now I think they have a path to an SEC title. For sure. I, that was something I discussed uh, on my Blaze show earlier. We are part of the Blaze radio uh, station, both of us here at uh, – uh, Arizona State University, Walter Cronkite Schools, where we're both attending. So, but we're just two college kids getting after it here on Screaming Neemans. You're listening to Screaming Neemans on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts. But 
I, I think just a point I made on bottom of the six was just that there's so many possibilities here in the SEC. You've got Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee really just up there at the top. And then you honestly throw an Ole Miss there. Uh, I, I do, yeah. They're, they're at the bottom, too. So really just because Alabama can lose to Georgia, two lost teams never get in the playoff. Right. And then, But then Alabama could beat Georgia like they did last year, and both of them sneak in the playoff. And then there's Tennessee now and Ole Miss. And there's just so much high-level competition among the SEC. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it is. I mean, to, I've not been this excited to watch the SEC in a while. I mean, personally, you know, the SEC for me, it's usually, you know, Alabama, Georgia, not much beyond that. But this Ole Miss team and this Tennessee team are really getting me excited because, to be honest, I believe that both those teams can possibly win it and get them uh, get a shot at the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as Tennessee, I mean, like I said, really good team football, uh, you know, all-around good effort. You know, I think if the defense steps up a little more than they did against Alabama, I think that they might be the favorite in the SEC right now. And we haven't seen much contenders outside of Georgia and Alabama, right. so it would be cool, very cool to see a new champion that's not named Georgia or Alabama. But and Tennessee's got the fan base for sure. I, I was mean, just gonna say, we, shout out to Knoxville. Shout out to Knoxville for absolutely just rushing the field madness just chaos everywhere the goalpost got taken down there's now a hundred thousand dollar fine towards the sec they started to go fund me and i saw it last checked it's at thirty two thousand dollars yeah uh they pretty much did what they they should have done i mean to be honest celebrate their win right i mean you know i know a lot of alabama people say you know well you know when we win it's just a normal saturday but when people beat us you know it's a celebration but I mean, this Tennessee team, aside from what's, you know, what happening with that game with Alabama, I mean, the whole year has kind of mounted to this point. Like, I think each and every game, people are like, okay, they look good, but we don't know if, like, they're there yet. And I think that this game proved to a lot of people that Tennessee is there. And who knows? They might be there to stay for a few years beyond this. Love the fans in Knoxville. Great fan base there. And another great fan base is out in Utah who was able to pull off a great upset themselves, and they are the defending Pac-12 champions, but they were not favored in their matchup against USC, in which they fell in that huge matchup in the Pac-12 that's kind of changing the landscape of the race in the Pac-12. USC was the favorite coming into the season. They add all these off-season pieces, bringing Caleb Williams from Oklahoma, bringing a new head coach, Lincoln Riley, and just changing the, trying to get that identity that USC had back with, um, back in the 2000s and so it's just an unfortunate loss for them and it takes a really hit in their chances of making the playoff yeah you know when I look at this USC team you know I'm still impressed to a certain extent because I was I was one who was saying before the season like it's a lot in a little time to to expect them to be in the playoffs and to be right there contending for a national championship right off the rip like after all these additions new coaching you know, I think it was a bit much to ask. So to be honest, I'm still pretty impressed with this USC team. Uh, I believe that it was inevitable. I thought they were going to lose at some point along along the way here. And Utah was just the right team. Utah has looked fairly good all year. Um, I mean, I saw them in person play Arizona State. And it's just a really clean football team that facilitate the offense really well. They have a really good tempo. Um, and I think all those things combined just contributed to USC's loss. But, you know, I'm still impressed with USC. And, and I still think they definitely have a high ceiling. Uh, even in the span of the rest of the season. And I, I think people just after the losses, Utah suffered at that fluke. I, I call it a fluke loss, the Florida game yeah. that they played at the start. It was just an interception at the 
at the goal line is yeah. not something that would typically happen. And as we saw in the Super Bowl a few, a few yes. about half a decade ago yeah. now, it seems like yesterday, but uh, when Russell Wilson threw that pick, and yeah. it's just flukes kind of happen sometimes. So that was kind of a fluke loss. And then uh, I, I'm spacing the other team who they lost to, but I, they, they've had a solid season, but really – I, it, USC and that Utah matchup, it was really just Utah playing better. And U, USC is a great football team, but this is the the defending Pac-12 champions you're talking about here. And one of the guys who leads this team is Cameron Rising. Last year in the Rose Bowl, when he played Ohio State, everyone thought that Utah was just going to get crushed. That there's no way Utah can hang with the Ohio State yeah. University. <laughs> But they did, and they made it a heck of a game. And shoot, if Cameron Rising doesn't go down in that game, they probably win over Ohio State and rewrite Rose Bowl history. Yeah. But in in the game, just talking about USC, he had five total touchdowns, 415 passing yards, 60 yards on the ground. So three rushing touchdowns, two passing touchdowns. He, he, he put the team on his back in a big moment. And really, I just think that people are kind of sleeping on him in this year's NFL draft and not appreciating his efforts in the Pac-12 conference and making Utah a contender that it is. Well, let's be honest. I mean, he should be, you know, he should be uh, hyped up a little more than he has been because he can do it all. I think you mentioned it, right? You know, when we look at the landscape of college quarterbacks, you know, we often see guys who are really good on their legs or there's really good pocket passers. But I feel like he does it all. And I I think that he's been able to show that, as you alluded to, in the Rose Bowl. Um, And, you know, maybe that contributed to a little bit of, you know, Utah and and them being downplayed to a certain extent uh, in the Pac-12. I mean, everyone was talking about USC, but no one was talking about Utah. Um, and Utah's other loss was to UCLA, so that, that's a that's a fair loss as well. Um, they're top ten, so I mean, when you look at the Utah team, you know, as you mentioned, right now they, you know, their only losses really should be to UCLA, USC, and uh, or excuse me, UCLA, and then um, obviously beating USC. Um, so they, I mean, this is a team that's really competitive. They played competitive all year, and to get uh, to pick up a win, you know, in the you know about halfway mark through the season against a ranked team is really impressive because. It really shows that the team is still there. You know, they're still obviously playing a good team football. They haven't, you know, strayed from the game plan uh, as far as looking at the season at a full. Um, and if I'm a Utah fan, I, I love to see it. I love to see the win, um, regardless whether you're, you know, you're, you're a two-loss team. You still like to see it. Exactly. And being a two-loss team, you pretty much know the season's right. over as far as playoff aspirations go but this Pac-12 race is anyone's game now yes. with USC in that one loss especially now the pressure goes on UCLA the team who beat Utah all the pressure's on them they have the pressure of the playoff the championship and they do not have an easy road ahead starting this weekend in Eugene yes. Eugene's a hard place to play I know being an Oregon State fan I despise the Ducks and Chip Kelly who's the head coach of UCLA now spent many years at Oregon and this is kind of a homecoming for him. He's gone back there before, but just really now that UCLA wasn't too good when you, when Chip Kelly started, and now that he's kind of put him back on the map like he did Oregon back in the early 2000s, it's just going to be a really hyped-up game. I mean, heck, college game day. Yeah. College game day went there, and th- they made it known that they're going to come to Eugene, Oregon, a place many people don't know about, but outside of Chip Kelly, until Chip Kelly came to Oregon and put Oregon on the map, 
no one really knew what Oregon was all about. And now, since Chip Kelly left there, everyone knows Oregon's brand. Yeah, and you know, I I credit Oregon. Um, they've they've hung around and, and they've they've stayed a, a relevant football program, as you mentioned. I mean, that's that's hard to do in the Pac-12. I think, especially looking at you know recruiting and stuff, that the Pac-12 is a bit of a tough sell. Um, but Oregon has done a good job staying consistent, and I I think this is to be honest, Oregon's game to win. I think it's all their form. You know, like you mentioned, college game day, home field, um, and you know all that pressure. I think you know, allows Oregon, you know, now pressure is taken off of them. So this is their game to win. And I think I would not be surprised that they win the game. I think this quite possibly could be a toss up matchup. And Oregon also is only loss came in that drastic loss to Georgia at the start of the season. So like Utah, it was kind of is Dan Lanning, their head coach playing his former team, lots of emotion there, which is going to play a huge factor in this game. Chip Kelly playing a team he took to national prominence, took to the 2011 BCS National Championship. There's going to be a lot of emotion there being back in Eugene, and I think that'll play a huge factor in this game. But uh, moving on from college football, such a great weekend there. But it was also a great weekend in baseball and a good weekend for anyone who's not a Dodgers fan, especially the Padres, who are who many people view as sort of the little brother to the Dodgers yeah. in many ways. Just kind of always been there in Southern California, yeah. but have never really had the assets to compete. But they go out in the middle of the season rather than the offseason, make some big plays, get Juan Soto, get Josh Hader, huge closer who struggled on early on in the start, but has yeah. really come through here at the end. At the end. But the Dodgers, man, 111 wins, blow it, not even making the championship series. I mean, if you're Dave Roberts, what are you even thinking right now? Oh, you got you got an immense amount of pressure on you. I know that they said that he's sticking around for next season, so that's you know that's fair play. But I mean, you can't help to not think about after next season. Like, what if the Dodgers find themselves in a similar situation? I mean, Dave Roberts might be on the way out. And to me, I mean, the Dodgers. Every year, you know, during the regular season, I'm like, all right, it's a lock. The Dodgers, you know, are going to play really well. But when it comes to the playoffs, I feel like you almost have a new perspective on them because you just don't know if they're going to be able to put everything together at the right time. And I really think that's been the thing about the Dodgers. And really in baseball playoffs is the teams that you see do really well and the teams that often win the World Series are teams that are trending up at the right time. And the Dodgers, I feel like, often find themselves starting out the playoffs and getting themselves into a little bit of a funk, and then it just never really uh, gets back on track for the team. And I think that's what we saw this year. Um, but as, as far as for the Padres, as you mentioned, I mean, they did they, they did what they needed to do, got Soto. Um, the Hader edition, I feel like, was a little bit under the radar for people because if you think about Josh Hader, very good closer for the Brewers. I mean, he was uh, really their mainstay. Um and it was great to see him back. I believe he had it was the first MLB pitcher in history to get eight consecutive strikeouts, I believe, um, in the playoffs. So, I mean, if he gets hot at the right time, he can be a big asset for that Padres team. And talking about Josh Hader, that's going to lead us into a special segment we have on the show. It's called Neiman's Notables. We talk about the notable players who made a huge impact in last week. And then also just some upcoming notable things that are going to be upcoming this weekend. It's kind of our midweek show that we got going for you. But this past week, obviously, Josh Hader with those eight strikeouts. And then also, he's been four and a third scoreless through the playoffs and closing out the Dodgers like he did. Definitely a notable player to be on Neiman's Notables. And then also, 
Jalen Hyatt out of Tennessee. We were talking about Tennessee earlier. Five touchdowns on only six receptions. 207 receiving yards. Man can ball. Man, can I get him in fantasy or something? Like, woo! What a performance. What a performance, and for sure well-deserving for the Neiman's Notables this week. For sure. And upcoming Notables that we have, NBA season's underway, and a team that's kind of been a lo- really hyped up this offseason has been the Los Angeles Clippers. And we got Kawhi coming back from his injury. And then also, there's been a lot of talk about John Wall and if he can kind of come back after the injuries he's faced and just kind of his Washington stint and then bouncing around. And if he's still got any life left in, in, in him and that athletic ability we saw and just our expectations for the Clippers. Yeah, um, as far as the Clippers, this is what, I mean, this is kind of what I say to everyone. If they can stay healthy, I think they're uh, on the top tier when you look at the NBA teams. Um, they have a really good core, and, and I like Kawhi. I mean, Kawhi is just a, a do-it-all guy. He gets things done defensively, also offensively, and I think we saw that. I was very happy that he finally got his due in Toronto, getting that ring. Um, and I, to be honest, I have pretty high expectations for this Clippers team. Like I said, if they can stay healthy, I think they got the right coach to do it as well. Um, I think that they might be the the better team coming out of California, as, as much as it hurts me to say. But I think the Clippers are definitely on a possible championship watch this year. I mean, if you just look at the Lakers last night, it, it, it just it did hey. not look good. Hey. Hey. It did not look, are you a Lakers yeah. fan? You know, I'm, I'm a LeBron fan, so oh, okay. Okay. I'm, a, I'm a really big LeBron fan. Um, okay, wait, 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 wait. I, I need this answer on the podcast yeah. right now. You're from Chicago. Yes. What's the LeBron MJ debate like for you? It's crazy because I I am one who will I 100 all everything set aside, like being being completely unbiased. I do think LeBron James is the greatest player of all time, and the conversations that I've had with people in Chicago have been rough. I mean, you know, I've it's hard to argue with six rings. I will say that. Um, you know, but I've I've been through the argument so many times. It's you know, it's almost become a little mundane for me, but it's it's really good. I think it's it's awesome that we have had two players that have been that good and have played in towns like Chicago and Los Angeles for franchises like that. I, it's been awesome, but yeah, it's it's tough for me when it comes to the goat conversation being in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, I bet it is. Oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine yeah. trying to debate against Chicago people yeah. trying to. And, you know, but that just speaks to your unbiasedness. Yeah, it's I mean, quality journalism right there. Chicago, I always say Chicago fans are one of the one of the best fans in in, in the in the U.S. Um, they know their stuff. I think that that's that's one thing about Chicago fans is that. You know, you'll be talking to someone, and you gotta watch out because you know they'll they'll have some interesting takes. Uh, you know, of players that you're like, I forgot about them. You know, and I forgot about that team that year. Um, but it's 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 awesome. I mean, it's um I'm, I'm, I'm I was, you know, I wish I was able to experience both players. You know, I there there are those people out there who have seen Jordan playing his prime and, and and LeBron playing his prime, and unfortunately, I haven't been able to do so. But um, yeah, I mean, it's great. It's it's really great. Yeah, and I think the perspective change for me, and I have a lot of friends who are LeBron fans, but yep. they they shifted their like full on like LeBron bias in like understanding more of where people are coming with MJ, especially after the Last Dance documentary. Like I think that just opened up a lot of people's eyes to who MJ was because we didn't see MJ right. like that. We didn't get to see MJ and like the, his interactions with people, and like our parents are like. 
no way anyone is better than MJ, but like they also probably with their work lives haven't been paying as yes. much attention to LeBron. And that was kind of like our childhood icon. He's the king. Yes. And I mean, this, this I've had like weeks on weeks. I, I have a group chat that's all about the GOAT conversation. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's just like, you know, it's it's kind of almost comparing apples to oranges. Like they're both, you know, they're both basketball players and, and they're both comparable. But in a sense, they're not because they're just that good. And when players get that good to the point where you can say, like, I can't really even put them in the same conversation because they're each that good in their own right. It's awesome. I mean, it's awesome that, like I said, I mean, the biggest thing for me is that they've been able to play for those two franchises that are some of the most storied franchises in sports. Yeah, it's just amazing to hear from a Chicago perspective. Yeah. I've never actually gotten that, so to have that, especially here on the podcast, yeah. Screaming Neiman's got got some hey, live takes. We could have a whole conversation. We could have a whole podcast episode on this because for me, I'm a big stats guy, and I got a lot of stats for LeBron James. MJ LeBron debate coming soon yeah. on the Screaming Neiman's. <laughs> It'll be coming soon, but. Moving away from optimism, we're going to move more so towards our next segment. Instead of Neiman's Notables, we got the Neiman's Narcs. Who didn't do so well this past weekend? We already were talking about the Dodgers and Dave Roberts in particular. I just want to add on to what we were saying earlier. Dave Roberts' managing of the bullpen is disastrous. Disastrous. You have some of the best pitchers in the world and you don't let him go deep in the postseason. You got to. You have to. Tyler Anderson. Tyler Anderson, excuse me. Five innings, shutout innings. Only 86 pitches. They pull him. Julio Urias, 75 pitches. They granted they won that game, but only pitched five innings. And then you go game three. Clayton Kershaw, icon, Los Angeles icon. 80 pitches. 80 pitches. Five innings. You've got to let your players, primetime starters, if you're pulling your, we play nine innings here, okay? Yeah. It's halfway through the game, basically, and you're taking out your best guy, your best arm. You can't be doing that, Dave Roberts. I'm sorry, but you can't. No, I mean, regular season, maybe that's okay. But when you look at the playoffs, I mean, you're only, there's only so many innings. Like, you can't, you know, bank on you making it to the next round and having fresh arms. Like, you just have to let it all out there. And that's my that's my main concern uh, with with Dave Roberts right now is is just the mismanagement of a team. You know, I I often have conversations with people. It's like, you know, what? How can the manager affect the game the most? And a lot of it has to do with you know when they decide to pull their pitchers, when they decide to get the bullpen going. And and Dave Roberts, I mean, that's that's plagued him for this playoffs. And I think that really it, we're going to hear about this all off season because with that team and that pitching squad you mentioned it, it's crazy to think that they weren't able to get you know deep at all in the playoffs i just feel like dave roberts just gets money thrown to him and then he gets the dodgers organization who has more money than anyone in baseball to just throw money at players get him all the talent in the yeah. world and then he feels like he can just tell the players to go out and play but where managers become great is in the postseason because they actually have to show they can manage a team, they can manage a pitching staff in critical situations in which they don't can't just strategically strategically plan out each day, know which starter is going to pitch on which day. They have to utilize their bullpen in a way where they can have long-lasting success throughout the postseason, and you have to be able to actually manage a team. And Dave Roberts 
throughout the postseason, except the Mickey Mouse 2020 championship they won. The Lakers won that year. Yep. I'm saying that was a fluke. They're terrible now. <laughs> the Dodgers aren't terrible now, but they still don't have a championship to show for it. They, they're they still struggling to get over that championship hump now after two very successful over 100 win seasons. It's just on the reflection of Dave Roberts when it comes down to it. He can let the players play in the regular season, and that's the easy part. Right. But when it comes to the postseason, that's where everything makes the difference. Yeah, you know, it's like, you. for me, it's you can't get caught up in the moment. You, you can't let the moment be too big for you. And I feel like Dave Roberts has done that because, you know, we've seen these playoff games, pitchers pitching really good, but then in the moment, he pulls them. And really, no reason. I mean, no reason at all. You got to you gotta trust your players. That's another thing. Like, you have all these good players. <laughs> you got to trust them. You got to trust their ability. You got to trust that they can, you know, they, they can, uh, you know, steady the ship. And he hasn't been able to do that. And, and for me, you know, and for Dodgers fans, that's got to hurt. Because you spent, like you mentioned, you spend all this money. Uh, you have all this talent. But it's not being utilized correctly. And in baseball, it's hard for talent not to get utilized correctly. And it hasn't been for the Dodgers right now. I mean, it's just all the talent has been going down the drain. Like you mentioned, really, I mean, nothing to show for. Nothing to show for. They've always been competitive. But, you know, given another year or two, I don't think people are really going to take them as seriously as, you know, we used to take the Dodgers. I mean, coming to the playoffs, you're just going to expect, listen, they're going to fall apart. And they're not really going to be a threat. And that's one thing that the Dodgers cannot afford right now. Yeah, and they can't lose those loyal fans who are obviously going to be the most affected by this right now. But also, notably, some successful teams slash players who haven't been very successful lately, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, two of the greatest in the game, both have 3-3 three and three records. And Aaron Rodgers, no, no dismay on the Jets, who are actually pretty legit yeah. this year. Yeah, how about it? But they lost to the Jets. We're talking about the Green Bay Packers here. Aaron Rodgers, you're supposed to be the face of the league, two-time MVP. Like, him falling to 3-3 three and three on the season, he's lost to the rival NFC North Vikings in his season opener. That was one of the worst games I've ever seen Aaron Rodgers play and just the Packers in general. And then Tom Brady just looks kind of like an old man out there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'll start with Tom Brady because, you know, when I looked at the Buccaneers, I said this over and over again. I mean, the, the change in the Buccaneers... Like last season compared to this season, it might be the most drastic out of any team. I mean, to be honest, when I an- an- analyzed that game against the Rams in the playoffs, the Buccaneers could have won that game. Their push was just a little bit uh, too little, too late. If that game had another quarter, they would have they would have beat them because they were coming on at the right time. So for Tom Brady not to be able to perform to me is concerning. Um, and you know he's had off the field issues. I will mention that. I don't know how much that has played a role, but he just hasn't looked like Tom Brady, and that's concerning because the Buccaneers have some pieces. They're if at Tom Brady's best, they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender. But I mean, when you look at the NFC, like no one jumps out to you except the Eagles. And the Buccaneers were the team that I personally thought would be the team to beat, and they haven't been. Um, as far as Aaron Rodgers goes, I mean, you know, Devonte Adams leaving, I, you know, I feel like that's that's a big thing. But I wonder, you know, I wonder how much can we actually blame on Devonte Adams leaving? And then it gets up to a conversation: is like, was Aaron Rodgers always this good, or was Devonte Adams that good as well? Like, you know, I think that it's a double-edged sword. Um, and so far, I don't know how to assess Aaron Rodgers because I keep 
thinking that they were going to come out of this, but they haven't yet, and they really haven't looked good at all. Yeah, I, I just think that Aaron Rodgers hasn't really been able to utilize um, pieces, and I think this speaks honestly to the benefit of Tom Brady and his success, although he may be struggling right now. Tom Brady has made guys like Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola. Granted, he had Gronk, but like he's made receivers who are no names, nobodies. Bill Belichick goes out and doesn't get him any like quality receivers except yeah, Randy Moss back in the day. Yeah. But granted, for the most part, yeah. Tom Brady has utilized not very skilled weapons like top of the league players like Devontae Adams, and has been able to win, 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 win. And Aaron Rodgers hasn't really had that dilemma too much throughout his career, maybe early on, but he hasn't had to face this issue in a long time. And even with an aging Tom Brady, he comes to Tampa in a whole new system with not the best pieces. Yes, he has Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, but it was it, it was a good situation, but he definitely had to like adjust. And Aaron Rodgers really hasn't had to adjust to a new environment in a long time. Yeah, and that's... To me, that that's this is going to be the stain of Aaron Rodgers' career. You, ha, you, I mean, when you look at his career as a whole, I mean, there is not a whole lot to show for. I mean, he hasn't really done anything like earth-shattering within the past decade. So, to me, that's the alarming part because the fact that he's in this last stretch of his career and he's been chasing, you know, greatness. I I feel like in a sense, almost living in Tom Brady's shadow the whole career. You know, I think everyone recognizes Aaron Rodgers as a great quarterback, but I mean, when it comes down to the nitty gritty, when the rubber hits the road, he hasn't been able to perform and he's not right now. You know, often in the latter parts of players' career, I mean, look at LeBron James. He's in the latter part of his career. He's doing everything he can. He's laying it all out there to win a title, you know, despite the surrounding pieces not being there, he's still doing it. And Tom, or excuse me, Aaron Rodgers has struggled, and you know, different sport. So it is, it's you know, a little unfair for me to make that uh, comparison. But Aaron Rodgers, I just keep hoping. You know, as a Bears fan, I'm telling you, I'm hoping he's gonna come around because I want to see him be competitive. I want to see him be in another Super Bowl, but I'm not sure we're gonna see it at this point. And I think that's, yeah, that's just been the story of Aaron Rodgers' career here at the end of part, just not being able to get past the NFC Championship. And really, since the, he won the Super Bowl, it's been a decade. And just yeah. getting back there has been a challenge. And for a guy who's won multiple MVP trophies, has been looked as the best player in the league for a long time now, he's not looking like it right now. And his, his team has shown lack of success, especially in the postseason and now here in this regular season. But one quick more, Neiman's Nark. This is going to be a biased one just from an Oregon State fan. But AP poll. All right, you guys are the most unbiased source out there in the media. But Oregon State, my beloved Beavers, only have lost to Utah, who just beat USC, and they lost to the Trojans themselves, almost beat them in Corvallis, for the first time since 2008, when they upset USC, they've upset them twice, and they only lost because Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison worked their little magic at the end and scored. But those are their only two losses, and you had Washington State and all this hype banking on the top 25, had all these votes, and you give Oregon State six after beating them? This is ridiculous. Oregon State, I know we've been one of the worst FBS schools 
in recent memory. But this is a new Oregon State team, everyone. If you haven't watched Oregon State football, turn on Pac-12 Network and watch them for a little bit. They are not the Beavers of old. Just saying, AP poll got to do a little bit better with some Pac-12 representatives. You've done pretty well in getting UCLA in there, but come on. I know the Beavers have had a rough time, but show them a little bit of love. But moving on to our next fun little segment that we have here on the Screaming Neemans podcast is... A little segment we like to call Stock Up, Stock Down. So we'll start with a stock up. We were talking about them a little bit earlier. The New York Jets and also the New York Giants. They're yep. both winning g- great right now. The Jets are 4-2. and two. The Giants are 5-1. and one. It, 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 It's been so long since New York football has been good. Yeah, and you know, to be honest, every Sunday I'm just sitting here watching it and I don't know how it's happening. I don't. Uh, the pieces are falling falling in place for both teams, but for the Giants, I mean that coaching. That coaching has been wonderful. I think Coach of the Year right there, Brian Dayball. I wish the Bears got him at this point because he has done everything. I mean, really looking at that that Giants roster, I mean there isn't a whole lot there. I mean you're making this happen with Daniel Jones. Hats off to you. Yeah, I hate. Maybe he's their guy, and maybe he's their guy. But I, you know, if you're a New York fan right now, you have to be pretty excited because you have both teams looking good, and I think both teams possibly could be decent to legit. You know, as the season goes on, I think they've proved that. I, I think you know, if they weren't, they would have already, you know, had some hiccups and faltered, and they really haven't. Yeah, it's been unprecedented success for New York football in a long time, and I mean. If you take a look back at history, Eli Manning, uh, he he's part of the Manning generation. He's one of the greatest all times. But, like, he didn't have great regular season teams and was obviously one of the most clutch players in the postseason, took down Tom Brady twice. Yep. And Daniel Jones, not a guy you look at and he's like, oh, he's a great, great quarterback. But he could just be one of those guys that goes under the radar and might just – the Giants I see kind of – Falling off a little bit here in the middle of the season, and might, but I feel like they're going to be a playoff team. I see New York being a playoff team that could possibly create some havoc. Yeah, I, I see him as a, I see him as a playoff team too, and I, I would have a similar analysis. I wouldn't be surprised if they, they get off the track a little bit here midseason. But you know, I think I think you made up a good point about Daniel Jones. I mean. He's found ways to win games, and I think that's all you can ask uh, uh, for in a quarterback. Um, in this new coaching staff, I know I mentioned it already, but it almost gives Daniel Jones a new life because now you have a new you know coaching staff coming in, reaffirming that Daniel Jones is their guy and running with him, and that gives Daniel Jones the confidence that he needs, and I think that's uh, a big part of why we've seen the Giants had a lot of success here. Moving on to a stock down statement, Notre Dame football. You're an, you're an Illinois native, and Notre Dame, normally in the college football playoff conversation, they're normally one of the best teams in the country, one of the most historic college football programs in history, and they're 3-3 three and three to start the season, not something you want to see. They lost to Stanford last week, and the shift from Brian Kelly to Marcus Freeman has not been the smoothest one, to say the least. Yeah, and you know, I'll, I'll preface my, my my little uh segment here that, you know, I wanted Freeman to be the guy. I like him. He's a player's coach. I think that he said all the right things. He said everything he should have said coming into the season. Um but when I assess Notre Dame as a whole, 
to be honest with you, I've never, I've never been certain that they belong in the playoffs because Notre Dame really hasn't had much success in the playoffs, and, and people continue to, you know, trust that they'll eventually get there, and they haven't. Um, I've seen Notre Dame play in person. I've, I've been; they have a wonderful campus over there, wonderful facilities. But the thing about Notre Dame is. A big part of it, I feel like, is they have a big name, but they don't have a lot to show for it currently. Um, I, would have, I was having a conversation with someone earlier in the year, uh, like week one, and I said, I don't think Notre Dame is a playoff team. I just don't think they're a playoff team. I don't think they can run with the Alabamas, the Georgias of the world. And I think that's showing right now. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I hope that Notre Dame stays with Marcus Freeman. I hope they give him a shot at, you know, trying to smooth things out and, and get this program back up to the point it needs to be. But obviously this year has not been it. Yeah, and you got to catch the guy a break. It's his first head coaching job. Yeah. He's thrown into a situation and where Notre Dame football is kind of being put into question on where's they're going to go, independent or not, and right. just the shifting landscape there with Notre Dame. And he, he's a young coach. He's a young guy. He's still learning his way. And I, I think you kind of just shove this season aside and start fresh ne- next year with maybe some fresh recruits. And it's kind of been a turnaround pretty quickly with Brian Kelly. And, you know, you didn't have a full off season to prepare. So I think you catch the guy a break a little bit. But moving on to a stock up, Oregon alumni – Marcus Mariota outdueled Jimmy G this past week for the Atlanta Falcons. Many people have been skeptical of Marcus Mariota throughout his years in the NFL. From the time he was with the Titans and was a starter when he was drafted, he showed some promise. Heck, he had that pass to himself against the Chiefs yeah. before the Patrick Mahomes <laughs> era. Um, and then he, he goes to Las Vegas, has two years of development under Derek Carr as the backup there. Is kind of just the run-only quarterback there. But now he gets his opportunity with Atlanta, and I am so glad that he is utilizing it well and showing everyone who he is. Last week, he had 13 of 14 for 129 and two touchdowns, and just really, he's looking like the Marcus Mariota I've always known and seen him to be. He was the Heisman in his final year, led Oregon to the college football playoff national championship game against Ohio State back when Ezekiel Elliott was the running back. And I know those seemed like days ago when Marcus Mariota was the face of college football but he's still got a lot of talent left in him and i'm happy to see him and i I think he has a good shot at taking this uh nfc south division yeah i'd love to see it too i'm in the same boat as you um you know i I was a believer when he came in for the raiders last i believe it was last year and and he had an incredible performance um you know as far as his tenure in tennessee he got caught in between coaching staffs i felt like he was dealt a bit of a bad hand um, and I'm happy that he he's starting to get his his due, as you said, and, and, and that he's making the most out of it. Um, you know, a very dynamic player. He's He's got a good legs. He's got a good arm. Uh, I like the fact that he always is looking downfield. He doesn't leave the pocket too early, but when he can, when he has to, he can. Um, and I love to see that he's having success in Atlanta right now. Yeah, and moving on to a stock down, Mac Jones now in some trouble being that he could be outdueled by the backup in New England. Is there a quarterback battle? Is there a quarterback battle? I think there might be a competition here. There could be a competition. Uh, Bill Bill Belichick will not give us any news that we're yeah. looking to dig into, but we'll, we'll just leave it at that. But I, I, th- I think Mac Jones will end up retaking his job because, I mean, but Bill, Belichick, Bill Belichick has shown he's not afraid to do it, but 
Mac Jones showed success last year in his rookie year, and he's shown he's legit. He he was arguably the best of the rookie quarterbacks last year in the first year. But anyway, I feel like he, he'll earn his job back after he comes back from his injury. But stock up, big stock up for Colorado fans. I mean, the worst team in the FBS, arguably. But they get a big win against Cal on Saturday, their first of the season. The Buffaloes were the last team in the FBS without a win. And now... There's no more winless teams in the FBS, so that's a, that's a good yeah, thing. Love it, love to see it. You know, Colorado, uh, Pac-12 represent. You know, uh, ASU's got to deal with them coming down uh, the second half of the season. I hope Colorado is trending up at that time as well. I I would love to see it. And I, I've heard interesting takes that Colorado could possibly be like a weird upset for ASU, and I I wouldn't put it out of reach just given what ASU has, but. Sean Aguano has really been shifting the culture there, and he's done a great job, especially against Washington, just pulling out that win. ASU is desperate in need of a win, and coming off this bye week, I think they're going to have a real good shot against Stanford, but we'll get in there at the end with our upcoming two-minute drill, but that'll be here in a little bit. But quick stock down, but we before we move on to our Did You Know That stat, um, Kansas, big stock down. Kansas, who is really odd odd that they've been so good this year it's kind of been unprecedented how good they've been given they were in the boat of Colorado here for the past few years as one of the worst teams in the FBS they still can't be Oklahoma <laughs> despite them being in the top 25 um they they lost to Oklahoma 52 to 42 haven't beat Oklahoma still since 97 yeah, you know, I I wish I had the stat here, but the last time that Kansas went on a run like they did, uh, historically that's that same season their second half was was not good, and I wouldn't be surprised we see it here. Um, but I I enjoyed watching Kansas do well. I really like to see uh, a school that was particularly known for basketball do well in football. I it's weird, but it was it was fun seeing. I uh, fun fact: Kansas was one of my top schools uh, picking. I visited the campus, love it. Saw the football stadium, saw the football team. You know they got nice facilities over there, and it was it was fun while it lasted. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Kansas drop a couple games before the end of the season. Well, we're thankful you came here because now we got the Screaming Evans <laughs> podcast. There you go. But here's our did you know that stat? Little segment we got here. Kyle Schwarber last night hit a shot 488-foot home run against the Phillies in Game 1 in their win over the Padres. The Padres, I believe, got back even tonight against the Phillies. and But it's the longest home run in Petco Park history during the StatCast era. And then it's the second longest postseason homer in history per ESPN. It's, it was just a... Yeah. Oh, it was un- unreal that, just watching it happen. Yeah, that guy can poke it. I, I, When he played for the Cubs, I loved him, and I hated to see him go. And, you know, I mean, that right there is a nutshell of what Kyle Schorber can do. He can crush home runs like that, and once he gets going, he's hard to stop. Before we get to the two-minute drill, we, we have a little segment that we really have been eager to get on the show. And it's going to be a seasonal segment that we're going to have, and we like to spotlight some teams that – are not really expected to make much noise in the postseason or have kind of had preseason hype but have fallen off in the regular season and give them an advocate for why they can still make some noise here near the end of the regular season. So I got my Hail Mary take on the Denver Broncos. Grew up in Boulder, making the playoffs. Okay, hear me out here. Okay, things look really bad in Denver right now. I am not going to lie. They're 31st in scoring offense. 
only averaging 15 points a game, had one of the worst football games I've ever seen in my life against the Indianapolis Colts. But anyway, through six games, Wilson is starting at a career low 35.8 QBR. And with three straight losses and primetime matchups, the nationwide scheme and consensus is that the Denver Broncos are the worst team in the AFC West, despite the Raiders' struggles. Javante Williams, done for the year. It's just been a disaster in Denver, to say the least. But with the injury to Williams, there's a door that's opening up for the Broncos. The Carolina Panthers have had some organizational issues, especially firing Matt Rule, and now are looking, per reports, that they're going to want to rebuild. And that rebuild will mean that Christian McCaffrey will be on the market. Where's Christian McCaffrey come? Colorado. His dad, Ed McCaffrey, on the Super Bowl winning team with John Elway. There's no better place for him to come. Come to the Broncos. Wilson, who has proved very effective when he has a good running back, Marshawn Lynch. They won a Super Bowl together, went to two of them. It's better when he has a solid running back in his backfield. It'll open up his options, free up some pressure off his back, and thus allow the Broncos to have a better second half of the season and ultimately get into a wild card spot. That's an, an impeccable take. That That is wonderful. I mean... I'm sitting here right now. I'm, I'm I'm believing you. I'm believing you. I would love to see it. You know, I, the Broncos. Want, like like I said, I mean, the expectations for the Broncos. It was a lot for a very short period of time. And I think if we see McCaffrey come there, that might be that might be the switch that they need to get this thing kick started and possibly the Broncos playoffs. Um, I don't know if you want me to jump into mine. Um, yeah, very very similar. Uh, my hometown, Chicago. I'm from the northwest suburbs of Chicago. So bear down. Um, you know, for, for the Bears, it's it's been a it's been an up and down season, mostly down. But you know, listen, okay. I had my my win prediction over under was four wins for the season. Okay, we saw Chicago come out. They got a a win against 49ers. I mean, it was like a monsoon out. It was, you know, the field had like a foot of water on it, but they got the win. Um, but when I look at teams like the Bears, the Broncos, these teams that struggle but have some pieces, I like to look at the teams when they're at their best or what has gone right for the team. And when it, when have they been at their worst, what has gone wrong? But when, it, when, when the Bears have been at their best, we've seen a very productive and a very talented Justin Fields. Um, he's had some beautiful passes downfield. He's had great pocket presence. He's had some uh, incredible runs. I mean, on last Thursday night, he had that run to set him up inside, you know, uh, red zone territory, uh, field goal range, and just weren't able to get it done. Um, and to be honest, I, I think the missing link for the Bears right now is that O-line. Uh, they're going into a mini-bye week right now. They got the Patriots on, on Monday Night Football. If that O-line can start to figure things out and give Fields just a little more time, and if, if the Bears can start to trust Fields a little bit, I think that's also part of it. The coaching staff needs to, to let Fields uh, cook a little bit more, if you will. Um, I think that the Bears can pick up some nice wins, and possibly they could be hanging around, especially in that, uh, that North division that has proved to be a little shaky and unsteady so far this year. 
I like I like that North take at the end yeah. because although the Vikings are kind of running it right now, but I don't. I, Kirk Cousins is known for the fall off. Yes, he's known for the fall off. So it's bound to happen eventually. I mean, their one loss came on none other than Monday Night Football, where Kirk I believe is like zero ten or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it could happen. You never know. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is struggling. The Bears might just sneak up on them and sneak up on the Vikings and maybe just pull out a win. The Packers are coming to Soldier Field, so we've been to Lambeau already. They're coming here, so if we can pick up a win against them, maybe we can get this thing on a tilt. Bear down, baby. Bear down. Yes, sir. All right. We're here at the two-minute drill. Going to break down some quick little things before we wrap up our show here on the Screaming Demons. Vaughn Miller, who we just talked about earlier in the show, doubles down on his prediction that Odell Beckham Jr. will join the Bills. Thoughts? Well, I don't know if it will happen. I would like to see it happen. If it does happen, I think that the Bills will be very dangerous uh, with another receiver. Like I said, I don't know if it will happen. I don't know if the Bills are uh, at the top of the list for for OBJ right now, but I think it can happen. Um, Going on to the next take here, we got the Carolina Panthers traded Robbie Anderson right away after that uh, sideline altercation. Is he the missing piece for the Cardinals and Kyler Murray? I don't necessarily think so. I, personally, I just don't think the Cardinals are, are it. I just don't think so. And I, I personally think like he, he's, got, he's only going to bring more drama to this organization yeah. with Cliff Kingsbury not really being the solid piece that he once has been. And the Cardinals struggles, Kyler Murray with all his contract issues. Yeah. And then DeAndre Hopkins coming back from PEDs. There's a lot of drama in that organization. And they really didn't need to bring any more drama with Robbie Anderson. But moving on, Carson Wentz out for four to six weeks with a pinky injury over the weekend we learned is Ron Rivera the next head coach he's been on the hot seat is he going to be out of the job soon I want to say no I think Ron Rivera has done a has done a fairly good job of just steadying the ship in Washington I think they have more pressing issues uh, I mean their front office but beyond that I think they have more pressing issues on the field I think he'll stay and I think he's the right guy for the job uh, moving on next uh, AP top 25 NCAA basketball poll is North Carolina rightful number one I believe so. I mean, just their run last year was so incredible. I did not expect... I expected USC. I had them in, like, my sweet 16, I believe. But that Final Four run was something magical. Taking out that Duke team who is expected to win the Natty. And just... With, they're bringing back all their pieces. They got Armando Baycott, Caleb Love. And then Hu- Hubert Davis was fantastic in his first year after taking over legendary coaches. And just his success and his ability to keep this UNC program among the top, the college basketball, I think it's right to make that statement. But rounding off, finally, we got ASU football versus Stanford this weekend. Who you got? I got ASU. Love what Iguano's doing with this program. Ohana, the Sun Devil family, has been rocking and rolling. I wouldn't be surprised they're going to run here to close out the season. I think the, the Sun Devils pull out the win at Stanford this weekend. It's been so much fun being with you here. We just had a blast. I mean, the Screaming Demons yes. are here, and we're here, here we to stay. We're going to keep you all uh, updated on all that's going on in the sports world, give you our loud takes, especially with the Hail Mary takes we got going with our, <laughs> the Bears and the Broncos. But that's what we're here for. We're just two college kids having some fun, and we're glad to bring you any sort of entertainment you have found. And if you did, please uh, keep up to date here on Spotify and Apple Podcasts where the Screaming Demons show will be posted and probably on the Blaze uh, podcast website if you're interested in that. We'll be able to be doing our respective shows on Blaze and Edward's got bottom of the six on Fridays if you want to hear him more on sports and I'll be there on Mondays but 
will come together on this Screaming Demons evening, Wednesday evening, and it's just been a blast, Edward. Yes, it has. I'm finally we've a- able to get this done. I mean, this is something we've talked about for a while, and here it is. We're, we're ready to roll. We'll close it out there, but thank you all for tuning in for to the Screaming Demons. We'll see you all next time.